day. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise here is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so that you will be better equipped to amplify your positive impact as a difference maker in any area in your life. We'll cover a variety of topics related to authenticity. We'll hear stories of how authentic leaders came to be, who they are, and we will create a platform for you to submit questions you would like me to address on all of the different topics that we talk about here, as well as in my books. <laughs> what is uniquely special is that I'm going to be doing this podcast together with my daughter, together with my daughter, Haley. And I'm super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project we are both so passionate about. So stay real, and uh, we just look forward to our uh, conversation today. Now today, Haley, it was your suggestion from our last episode that we spend some time talking about mental health. Sure. And I know this has been an issue for both of us. Mm -hmm. it, it is a familiar, familial uh, situation, but I, I thought I should do a bit of a disclaimer before we start talking about this. First of all, we are not here, even though I am trained in this field, I've been working in the field of mental health uh, for the last 40 plus years, but it is not our intention today to have a, um, a prescription. It's more description rather than prescription. We're going to share our experience. We're not giving advice here. Uh, it's mental health is so unique for each of us. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be sharing our own experience. The other thing I want to say is that we will uh, potentially bring up topics like suicide. So if this is a, a triggering issue for you, if it's a tender topic for you, you might just want to sit this one out. But we just wanted to mention that right up front. And uh, this is about appreciation for who we are. It's no, there's no judgment here. So wherever people are at, uh, we just want to share our experience here. So I am curious, Haley, yeah. I'm going to be sharing during this uh, episode, the relationship between mental health and my own challenge and authenticity, mm -hmm. because sure. that might, you know, might, people might be wondering what that link is, but I'm curious what your uh, reason for wanting to do this session around mental health is. What, where does that come from? Yeah, I find this such a fascinating topic. I mean, especially in light of the pandemic, because I feel there still is this, and I know we talk about this all the time, but there still is this stigma, I think, around talking about mental health and, and discussing it. And we still do not, even though we've made leaps and bounds um, in terms of progress, in terms of how we talk about mental health within a, within our society, um, it's still not talked about as often as physical ailments of injuries and things like that. Where And I think there still is that disconnect. We don't treat illnesses of the mind and illnesses of emotional needs the same way that we talk about, you know, gastro issues or a torn ligament. Um, and so, and, and I, I, I mean, we have come along a, a long, long way. And, and I look at my younger students and uh, the upcoming generation, and they're way more open about these kind of discussions than, than the older generations. But I think there's a lot of work to be done too, and to understand um, you know, our, our relationship to, to mental health and, and if it's, you know, part of who we are, or if it's something completely separate from who we are, and if there's a source of empowerment there and, and, and our own journey through understanding our minds and our emotions and our mental and emotional needs. What do you know about how, why, why is it been so hard for us to bring 
the conversation of mental health to the forefront without a judgment? I think because we know more about you outer space than we know about our own brains. Um, I mean, psychology is still a relatively new science, um, compared to the other sciences. Um, and I mean, there's still very differing schools of thought in terms of how we approach the mind. There's the sort of neurobiological component of it, where we look at brain chemistry and hormones and lobes of the brain and, and synapses. Um, but on the other hand, we look at you know, how we learn and how we, and what emotions are and what emotions look like and feel like and, and understanding what emotions and, you know, does my sadness feel the same as your sadness? And, um, so I think that's a huge part of it is we really just don't understand it. Um, and, and also I think too, there still has been such a history of, of weakness and of brokenness when we talk about mental health. Um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we would lock people up if they're going through emotional turmoil, uh, and we'd consider them untreatable and, and, you know, you'd put them in asylums or hospitals and it's pathologized and they're not considered as, as worthy of treatment or able to be treated. Uh, and that really isn't that long ago. Um, so I think that's a huge part of it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I think even nowadays, I think there's a huge, you know, divide in how we treat mental illness too, and, and how we approach it, you know, because it's such an individual thing. Um, you know, what is the best route for people at that moment in their life? I think it's really, you know, it's these big question marks to medicate or to not medicate, to go to therapy, to not go to therapy, to exercise, uh, to meditate, to meditate, not just medicate, but meditate, um, you know, and, and what, what does your mind need is really hard to identify. Yeah. Now, you might be, our, our listeners might be wondering, what, what does mental health have to do with authenticity mm, and authentic mm -hmm. leadership? And I, I think from my perspective, authenticity is about living an integrated life. It's, it's mm -hmm. being a whole person. Mm -hmm. And whenever we have to hide a part of who we are, or are ashamed of who we are, or can't bring our full self to our work, it limits our potential in my words, to be authentic. And when we hide and limit our potential to be authentic, it limits our ability to impact the world. It limits our ability to have a meaningful life, a full life. Mm -hmm. And so this is about seeing our humanness in its fullness. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who have been facing some mental health challenges, it actually, from my perspective, it makes us who we are. Mm -hmm. And if we can, uh, if, if we can transform what we pathologize and see it as a gift, and I'm not minimizing the hell that mental yeah. health challenges can present itself. And we'll each yeah. tell our own, share our own story here, mm -hmm. but I, I, it, there is an opportunity to see the gift, the pearl, if you will, amid the pain yeah. that, that we can begin to see and reframe uh, what we tend to pathologize, it's not to minimize it, but it's, mm -hmm. it's to shift from pathologizing it to really embracing it and appreciating it in its mm -hmm. all of its darkness. And accepting it and learning that, you know, it's something that's going to be with you. Um, I like to, you know, to think about mental health of my own experience as this like little gremlin in my brain that sometimes tells me bad things. Um, and, uh, so it's finding ways of, of, cause this gremlin's not going to go away. I can find lots of, of ways of, of 
hushing the gremlin of ignoring the gremlin of, you know, pushing the gremlin away, but it's, it's, this is part of, of who, who we are and it's, it's not going away and it's, it's a lifelong journey. And so giving it a name and accepting it and, and finding ways to live with it, I think is hugely important. Especially so maybe we start with uh, our stories here. What, sure. uh, what has been your journey? Yeah. Daily? Do you want to start, start us off? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So, um, and dad, also you pipe in too, cause obviously you remember when I was a kid, um, more than I do. Um, but I, I've always, always, always struggled with anxiety. I never had a diagnosis for it. That just really, I mean, I'm, I'm 29, but giving kids labels of anxiety and depression was not really the same. Like it didn't happen the same way it does nowadays. Um, and so, you know, getting the label of anxiety because it never really directly interfered with my life at school. I was still a high achieving student. Um, you know, I just was incredibly anxious <laughs> all the time, especially around tests around new social situations. I remember Chandra, my sister having to order for me at restaurants because I was anxious of, of new people. Um, but it was never in a way that kept me at home and kept me back. And so for a lot of times it wasn't really seen as something, um, you know, serious because it didn't, overtly impact my life. Um, and then it kind of, it, it sort of hushed and quieted itself down a little bit in high school. Uh, and then as I got to university, it reared its ugly head again. Um, but I found it incredibly empowering at university when I started to, um, I, I joined, um, they called it, they didn't call it a support group. I forget what they called it, but it was a, a meeting for perfectionists every week. And, uh, it was just giving different exercises, talking about your experiences every week. And it was so empowering to finally have a name for the stress that I felt. Um, cause I never recognized it as anxiety. And in a way, I think it was probably a good thing that I didn't because, you know, I, I, I had to learn a lot of strategies for myself to, to manage it and to work through it. And, and these strategies have been so important for me. Um, nowadays for, for finding, you know, knowing that exercise is hugely important for me, knowing that I have to make sure that I, you know, think about what I'm eating, because if I don't eat the right things, that can be a trigger. I have to make sure I, I take a look at my sleep. I have to say no to things. All of these were really important strategies that I needed to learn. Um, and then also, you know, the, the, the empowerment that came from finding a name up from it, you know, the empowerment of getting that diagnosis of anxiety and, and realizing that, you know, how I'm feeling is not normal, um, but it's okay. Cause there are ways around it. And I just, I, I had it said to me that, you know, mental health, like anxiety, for example, it's not an excuse, it's an explanation. And I found that to be incredibly empowering. Um, and then as I went through, I think I, you know, yeah, I, I just, you know, they're still being able to say, Hey, how I'm feeling right now, this isn't normal. This is just my anxiety talking to me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm learning to, to, to shut it up. It's a slow process. Um, but, uh, I, I was watching an interview with an actor a little while ago. Um, and, uh, <laughs> he, he always called, he gave his, his anxiety a name. Um, and so I found, I, I, I don't even know what I, I ended up giving my anxiety, the name Maureen. I don't remember the significance of the name. It's been so long. Um, but it's been really helpful for me to say, okay, is that an actual real logical thought? Uh, or is that just Maureen talking to me? Is that just my gremlin talking to me? 
um, and learning to identify what is actually happening. What is the reality of the situation? And what is just this gremlin, this anxiety gremlin telling me, um, you know, you're going to fail that you're, you're going to be all alone. That's a really long drive. You're going to hate it there. You're not going to know anybody. Um, you know, all of these really intrusive thoughts, or you look stupid, like all of those thoughts, finding ways of acknowledging that those aren't the reality that I'm the reality here. Those are just, you know, my anxiety gremlin talking to me, um, has been really helpful in, in shutting it up. Um, and so that, and that on top of, you know, finding strategies between medication, between therapy, between, you know, asking for help when I need it, um, you know, controlling what I can control, um, have been all part of my, you know, mental health journey. And, and I'm still learning, I'm still learning, but for sure, actually finally having a name for it has been huge. Um, yeah. Would it have been helpful to you in retrospect, had we taken you and had you to a, a doctor, psychologist and had that better diagnosed? Don't think so. No. Um, and I think, I think, I actually don't think so. Cause I think at the time I would have seen it as an excuse, not an explanation at the time, because I didn't have the maturity to see the long-term goal, I guess. And so I could see, I could have seen myself saying, Hey, I have anxiety. That gives me an excuse to not do X, Y, Z. That means I don't have to public speak. I don't have to push myself. I don't have to, you know, do all of these things because I have anxiety and that's my excuse. Um, I think having to persevere, like that's how I learned grit and resilience for me personally. And again, too, some people have their own journeys through that. But for me personally, that was hugely important to learn these strategies to manage my anxiety without having a name for it. Because then when I was actually old enough to recognize how important those strategies are, then I could have gotten, then I got a name for it. And that, and I think that journey was really important for me personally, because I think had I heard of having anxiety, you know, when I wasn't ready to hear it, you know, seven, eight, grade seven, eight, or, or early high school, if you will, I think I definitely would have just seen it as a, a part of my identity in a way that would have held, I would have held myself back saying, it's okay. I don't have to do that. I have anxiety, you know? So I, I don't want to leave our listeners with the view that we are against going to get professional no, help. Absolutely. But not. What would be the mess? And we also know that your anxiety is, yeah. I'm going to talk more about the depressive side. And sure. so when we talk about our own individual experiences, we can't speak for anybody else's anxiety. We only absolutely. know our own, we only know our own depression. Absolutely. Um, but what advice might you have? And, and advice is the wrong word. But had we taken you to get help? Mm -hmm. And had you known what you know now, what would be the important way to frame that if you were diagnosed with this earlier on? Because it could have been a potential support to you to have this diagnosis. And in the right environment, perhaps how could you have shifted your thinking from it being an excuse to being an explanation? I think it's also, it's different now. Cause I think even our conversations around mental health, you know, when I was that age, like 15 years ago, were way different than our conversations now. Um, like there was definitely much more of a medication focused push. And I, 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 I don't like, and I, I'm not against medication. I it's, it's, it's been hugely important. Um, but I, I don't know if I would have like if I were six years old today, I think my experience with anxiety would be very, very different than being six years old, 15 years ago, or my math is terrible, but you know what I mean? Right. 
Um, so because I think just our discussions and our approach to mental health and with mental health in children is so different. Um, and so, and, and like, and it, it continues to improve and it continues to change. Like my, my students who are grade nine, grade 10, right now, grade 11, grade 12, they have such a deeper understanding about what mental health is now than, than I had in university even. Um, just, I think their access to the internet to, to, to some points, I think it goes too far, um, that I think you end up with kids who are diagnosing themselves with these things that they may or may not have. And they're just, you know, using checklists on the internet, as opposed to actually going to the doctor and, and working with therapists and professionals and, and counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, so it ends up being, um, you know, I don't want to say overdiagnosed cause I think it's very, very real. Um, but I could see kids searching out different excuses, if you will, without actually seeing, seeking help. Um, but I, I think it's, it's just, I think it's hard to know, I think, because it's, it was a different time when I was younger and than it is right now. Um, and I think, yeah. And I think we, we're, because we're moving in such a, a drastic, quick, like quickly, we're moving in a different direction than, than we were 15, 20 years ago, you know? So I have to be honest here mm -hmm. that there is some guilt that gets triggered um, when I hear about your anxiety, because I know that for the first, I was working with my own mood swings when you were a preschooler and I was bringing uh, rage into the family. I was triggered by a lot of my own depression um, and you were exposed to some of that in your early life in a way that your younger sister wasn't. And I'm wondering if you have any insights around, I, I don't, uh, I have worked through a lot of this guilt. So the, the guilt is not necessarily very prevalent, I'll say. You know, uh, when I get into my story, one of the mm -hmm. things that I've learned is to define mental illness as, or mental health rather, I define it as the ability to distinguish your thoughts from reality. Mm -hmm. And if you can distinguish your thoughts as thoughts and understand those are my thoughts, uh, but they're not necessarily reality, then mm -hmm. you're in good mm -hmm. shape. Even if That's the, the thoughts gremlin. can be very dark. That's your uh, gremlin. <laughs> exactly. So I, 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 I won't even go far, so far as to say that there is a whole, uh, a strong pull of guilt, but there are thoughts about my wondering how much mm -hmm. of my instability when you were in very formative years would have, uh, triggered or lended lended itself to you uh becoming more anxious do you have any insights about that and that's not your, your job is not yeah. to please me or relieve my no. any of yeah, my yeah, guilt no, no, but no. just to, yeah. to shed some honesty about this i think because mental health and mental illness is such a complex animal and can come from such a complex amount like sources right like there's a genetic component there's a nature and nurture. Like we, we, we don't know why is it that some people develop anxiety and some people don't, or why is it some people develop bipolar disorder and some people don't, um, we, you know, we, we, we just don't know. Um, I personally, in my own journey, I think a lot more of it actually has come from funny enough that we're talking about authenticity. I actually think more of my anxiety based on how I'm triggered nowadays. Like I, you know, identifying my triggers and things like that for what send me into spirals, it's competition. Um, and it's the perfectionism thing. Um, so I think that came more from a very competitive, very small cohort growing up. 
um, you know, like a very, very tight knit, very high achieving cohort that I did not really fit very well into growing up and not really having an escape from it because it was a small little French immersion class, um, that I had every single year, the same group of kids every single year. Um, and a lot of the, the, you know, strategies to push us academically at the time were competitions in gym class, in math class, in science class. It was very, very com competition focused. And I did not thrive in that environment. And then I also, also had a bunch of kids who were very, um, probably are going to their own therapies now, I'm sure, but, um, you know, a bunch of these other kids who, you know, are prided themselves, like found great pride in, in achieving things above other people. I actually think that's the root of my anxiety is that, you know, feeling like I'm not good enough when I'm in an environment where I feel like I have to prove myself. And I don't think that came from your rage. If anything, I think I learned to like, I learned coping strategies and, um, you know, accepting the things I cannot change and understanding what are the things I can change and what are in my control and what aren't. I learned far more of those strategies from you and our discussions about mental health. Cause I was never afraid to ask you guys for help. I was never afraid to cry or get angry in front of you and to get support from you and mom. So I actually think it, it didn't come from home. I think it came from school and it came from just sort of the nature of the unlucky cohort. I, I, well, it's, it's, uh, invigorating and nourishing, <laughs> uh, to hear you say this, but I think, I think you've, you've also helped me understand in this conversation that this, I can get anxious about trying to create a perfect environment for my kids yeah. and it doesn't guarantee a thing that our kids <laughs> are, are bigger um, as Gabran said, your children are not your children. They come through <laughs> you, but they're not from you. Um, you know, you may give them your love, but not their thoughts for their thoughts dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your oh. dreams. So your children are not your children. And so they, we house our children, but I, we, what you're saying is we may have, uh, less influence on, on the outcome, then we give ourselves credit as parents. Now, not being a parent, I, but I, uh, not, I know you haven't yet become yeah. a parent. So you, but I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah. And I, I think too, like genetics plays such a huge factor. Like we're still like mapping the human genome. We've only been doing this for the last 20 years. That's still really recent science. Um, so a lot of like, you know, looking back at, you know, even between like you and, and grandpa, your father, and looking back in our own lineage and, and grandma, um, your mother, um, like who's to say that there's not a lot of genetics involved too, right. In terms of, of how our brain chemistry operates. Right. And in terms of our, our levels of, of dopamines and serotonin and, um, you know, all the other neurotransmitters. Right. So, you know, who's to say that, you know, that, that isn't a huge factor as well, that regardless of my upbringing, it could end up, could have ended up in the same way because, because of genetics, right? Do you want to talk about grandpa Harley, um, or, or grandma? Yeah, I will. Uh, I want to, in fact, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking that to do us justice, I wonder if we should do your story this week sure. and all the, in the next episode, do my story. Absolutely. Uh, that might be, yeah. and then we'll integrate it together. Yeah. But I, 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 so you're not you're not justifying trauma and you're not mm -hmm. justifying 
uh, causing pain and abuse in our family, but we're doing the best we can. And and the outcome is sometimes out of our individual control. Exactly. And if you look at people who've survived PTSD or sorry, who've survived, sorry, people who've survived some sort of traumatic incidents, not everyone's going to develop PTSD. And we still don't really know why some do and some don't. We're still learning, right? Um, And psychology, we're still, we're still understanding our brain, right? So who knows, right? Like, and, and also to like, if you look at our diagnoses of anxiety and depression and things like that, right. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's no x-ray or test that we can do and say, oh, yep. Looking at this, uh, you know, pH monitor. Yep. Checks out. They've got anxiety. No, it's, it's all based on, you know, what you self-report and the symptoms and things like that. Right. And, and, you know, some days are more anxious for me than others. And sometimes of my life are more anxious than me than others. I always struggle with, mental health support. Cause I always, in terms of when I need to access it and when I don't, because when I'm doing really well, you know, when I'm not in report card time or planning a wedding or whatever, what have you, right. When I'm at a really good point of my life, I choose not to seek out the supports and I choose not to focus on my mental health, um, because I don't prioritize it. And then when I really do need it, it's really easy to say, Hey, I don't have time for this. I'm too busy being anxious <laughs> to actually access the support. Right. So it's, it's a funny thing with that, right? Like it's not, I like to liken it to diabetes or, or something like that, right? Where you take regular medication, you take care of it and it, you know, you're trying to stabilize it, but life doesn't work like that. And our emotions and our mood don't quite work, work like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a funny little thing. <laughs> Can you speak Haley about how it's made you a better person, a better yeah. leader in the classroom? How has coming to grips with this, uh, impacted your life and your leadership? For sure. I think it's made me a lot more compassionate to kids who go through different struggles um, because I've been there. Um, I mean, Robin Williams, and I'm paraphrasing here, Robin Williams talked often about how, you know, before he died, before he died by suicide, um, you know, he talked a lot about how he knows what it feels to be completely worthless. So he tries his best to make sure nobody else feels like that. Um, and so I think there's a certain power of compassion there of, of knowing what those struggles feel like. And obviously everyone's own struggles are, are different and unique. Um, but being able to identify some of those things when I, when I see these kids that I teach who struggle with similar perfectionism that I've struggled with, um, it, I, I feel like I can help them in a way that somebody who hasn't had to go through that can't. And, um, you know, even giving them little tips and tricks that I, I, I know probably won't help them necessarily all the time, but things that have helped me, um, I, I feel like those, you know, little things like that, I can, I can help work with them, give them some of those, some of those tools in their toolbox, um, to be able to work through it. Uh, and even being able to recognize some of like the, the, I don't want to say warning signs, but the little flags to be able to have conversations with parents about the parents might not be able to recognize, but I'm able to recognize because I went through that myself, right? Picking the fingernails was a big one. Um, so, and, and I have kids who pick them way worse than I ever did. Um, but that for me can be a, a great starting point for discussion with parents um, to be able to recognize that. Right. And, and so I feel I'm just much more aware of, of it and a lot more compassionate of it as well. And, and, you know, I, it's, it's d- d- dictated a lot of open discussions with friends of mine and, and I've realized how common it is. 
Um, and I don't know. And I, I say common, it is it's very anecdotally, like I work with a bunch of teachers. So maybe it has something to do with the teaching perfection, profession and anxiety. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, maybe there's something related there. I don't know. Um, but you know, it's so incredibly common mental health and, and, or the discussion, mental health discussions and mental illness are way more common than I ever would have expected. Um, and everybody has, has some, something that they've been working through. I actually know more people who have been working through mental illness than people who haven't. Um, and so I think it just, it just is, uh, yeah, it's just a really great way to, to offer support the best way you can, obviously not being a psychologist or, you know, a psychiatrist or a doctor or anything like that. Um, yeah. What is your experience about what parents, for those people, parents listening in, mm-hmm. what observations or supportive suggestions might you have mm-hmm. for parents who are dealing with a child who's struggling with anxiety from your experience? I have, I get torn on this sometimes because I, I see something like, and I'll speak specifically to anxiety where I'm starting to see more and more in the classroom, kids who are choosing to opt out of things, um, because of anxiety, instead of pushing through and actually working through their anxiety by attempting it and coming out without failing at the other side. So things like public speaking, this is a big one. Uh, and I'm, I'm really torn on how to approach that one because on one hand, I'm like, yep, this kid is, is really anxious. This is a huge trigger for them. They have to stand in front of their peers and deliver a speech. I completely understand that. But then on the other hand, if they don't learn that it's okay to do, to speak publicly, if it's okay to get in front of your peers and to talk and you're going to survive and you're going to do well, or if you don't do well, that you're going to be able to pick yourself back up and try again, if they don't learn those skills then it's just going to make their anxiety worse. But at the same time, you don't want to push it if that child isn't ready for it. And if they've been coached their entire life by their parents, that it's okay to not do X, Y, Z because of their anxiety. It's a tricky, tricky place to be in. Cause on one hand, you want to be compassionate to their needs, but on the other hand, sometimes pushing gen- and gentle challenging can be really, really, really critical to learning these skills. Um, and so, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, and it's, it's interesting, like, and education right now is moving very much in a way of challenge by choice. Um, but we're giving these, the choice to these, these students, which on one hand can be a very great thing, you know? Um, but on the other hand, you know, a, a, a big part of, of the school that we, that I teach at, um, for example, is this big outdoor ed trip for, for younger students. And they all have to go on it. They all have to sleep in tents. They all have to go in a canoe. They all have to rappel down a big crane basically. And they all have to go jump off a cliff, um, into water very safely with life jackets. (laughs) I must caveat here, (laughs) very safe. (laughs) Um, but we have a lot of students gradually more and more every year that say, that's just not my thing. I'm not going to do it. And then they expect us to be able to write these glowing letters of recommendation about how resilient and hardworking and determined they are. And yet they're choosing not to do these types of activities. And I, I really struggle to, to, to support parents with those decisions to keep kids back from those types of activities or to, to, to support parents when they say my kid is too anxious to do a speech. Um, because these are such incredible opportunities for kids to learn that it's okay to be anxious because you're going to come out okay at the end. 
um, and to learn these strategies and to name your anxiety and say, yep, I have anxiety and I can do this, not, but I can't do this. Um, my vision would be that, you know, that kid could stand up in front of the room and, and have a community of support exactly among her peers, his peers to say, I'm really anxious right now to give this talk. Yes. And I need your help. And it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be anxious. And we're here together to support you through it because when you get through it, it's, it's really the antidote to the anxiety so that the anxiety doesn't control your life, exactly. but that it helps you develop and deepen your life. Is, exactly. Now, that's my interpretation of what you've said here. Exactly. Would you add anything to that? Well, I think about often too, um, a really good friend of mine struggles with dyslexia. And, um, so, and it, and what she's learned is that she's, she went, you know, has two degrees under her belt. Um, she's a really good writer. She passionately reads. It hasn't stopped her, but it does take her longer to do things. And that's, I think, okay. So she just knows that it's going to take her, you know, two, three times longer than everybody else. So she just has to budget that ask for support with that, you know, ask for more time when she needs it ask for the supports that are available to her, but she still gets it done. Um, and I think that's the critical lesson here is for, to, to get kids empowered enough to ask for help, ask for supports, but don't ask for an excuse to not do it. And I think that is the key advice here. So it's okay for kids to say, Hey, I really can't get out of bed today. Um, but you know what, my one little win will be, I'm going to take a shower. Great. Or, Hey, I'm not going to get out of bed today, but I need your help in asking for a therapist. Uh, or to, you know, talk about medication or talk about a support group, right? It's not okay to say, hey, um, you know, and and so to, to have those kind of discussions because these mental illnesses are not going away and they, they are annoying. They're awful. They're really, and they can be completely detrimental to, to daily life. That's what makes them an illness. Um, but they're not an excuse to stop life. There's something you have to live that. with. Right. So I love yeah, that. So, so it, it, but it's that supportive community that we push each other in so that we know we're not alone. Yeah. And self-advocacy, right? Like, you know, you can't, you know, that's the other thing too, is, is trying to teach kids that, you know, if you have a peanut allergy, you need to speak up and say, Hey, I have a peanut allergy. I can't eat that. That's an important life lesson. Same if you have anxiety. Hey, I have anxiety. I need a little bit of extra time to do this. Or, hey, I have anxiety. Can I bring my notes up with me when I give my speech? Great. No problem. Right. And so it's it's finding ways of, of advocating for yourself and teaching kids how to do that instead of just saying, I'm not going to do it and shutting down. Because that's that. not life. That's not life. That's not, that's not a good life skill. Yeah. You bet. So, or to take a pause and to say, Hey, I, you know, I'm really anxious and I can only take two classes at a time and it's going to take me longer to finish high school. Fine. No problem. Right. Um, so it's, it's finding the supports that you need so that you can still finish. You can still get through the other side instead of just quitting. Direction, not velocity. We might have to slow it down a little bit, but we still have to continue in the same direction. Well, this has been delightful. Yeah. And I'll get into my story in the next episode, and it'll be predominantly related to depression. Is there yeah. anything else, Haley, you wanted to share that I haven't asked you or that uh, is on in your heart today? I think just, you know, reach out for help. If you need help, ask help, find ways of getting help. 
Um, and also to something that mom has always said, um, dad, and, and this is something that I, that sticks with me all the time, um, is make somebody feel good, ask them for help. Um, and I just really, really like that phrase because it, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it feels good to help people. And so it, sometimes that's an easier way to ask for help than to admit weakness. Sometimes it's about helping somebody feel good too. And sometimes that makes it a little bit easier. That's wonderful. Beautiful. I love it. Before we go, dad, and, what are you grateful for? <laughs> oh, you're one step ahead of me here. I was just going to ask for the same thing. Well, I'm really grateful to hear, to hear your story. I'm grateful for how you've learned how to face this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very, it's, maybe it's more inspiration than gratitude, but they're both combined here, how you've taken responsibility for this and how you've moved past it. And you've turned this into a gift. And that's <laughs> totally inspiring. And I, and, and so what are you grateful for? I am grateful for the lessons you've taught me and the open discussion that we can have about mental health. And cause I know that's, that's a, that is a privilege that not a lot of people get is to be able to have these open discussions with their parents about mental illness and about, you know, things like that. So I think that's wonderful. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and the other thing I'm grateful for, um, is summer. I'm a big fan of the hot weather. <laughs> So I love that. I'm a huge hot weather person. I don't like the winter. So I love that I can go outside and a tank top and love it. I love it. (laughs) Not have to bring a coat. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Wonderful. Listen, I want to just remind our uh, listeners, if you want to reach out, uh, contact me on my website, davidirvine.com. And uh, make him feel good. Reach out. And, <laughs> and I'd love your questions. If something gets triggered here, uh, if you've got questions that you'd like us to respond to on the, on, the, on the episodes, anything that comes up for you, we just would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Haley, it's always a pleasure. Always we'll see a pleasure, you next Dad. episode. Sounds good, Dad. <laughs>